Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide Podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. That's right. What you don't know is this is our 17th take at trying to start this podcast, <laughs> because we keep messing it up. All right, so now oh, we've officially kicked this off, we've acknowledged our failings. Uh, this is going to be a redo podcast, so if you watch the live stream of the episode, we we called No God, No Freedom. Um, what you'll notice is that, well... It's not the same. We are going to try to make this a little better because, let's be honest here, okay? We're both pastors, and that's not our job. We both also have <laughs> completely and truly full-time jobs. We're both married, which is our primary role here, husband. We're both fathers. And by gosh, we're tired. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, basically this is, this is just us going to make a much better attempt at that. So feel free to watch and laugh and cry at the live stream on our on our facebook page if you so desire but this is going to hopefully be a little more to the point uh and effectual than whatever happened there yeah we don't really know what happened there i was in a daze i was just staring at things justin passed passed it over to me some sort of hallucinogens were there it was was just just, it was a wild crazy night oh man don't make us restart this one like hanging around with Jimi hendrix in the 60s we don't know what went on okay it was like nothing but a summer of love boy it's like living in the chaz Chop? You know, whatever. It could be either. Oh, no. So, moving past this point. Chap? (laughs) So, No God, No Freedom is the title of this. (laughs) We're not going to do this. No God, No Freedom. And uh, what we're working off is a basic premise. Now, this comes out, this premise comes out uh, of uh, the underlying cultural context uh, that we're seeing creep in uh, to culture, and that is, uh, namely, um, that that there is a stark divide between culture and Christianity, that that there is an idea that Christianity um, wishes to squash out, right, other forms of expression and freedom. And and this is this is not the case. And we're going to try to make this argument very clearly, uh, utilizing sort of a premise and a framework here. Um, as stated, Jesse, how is that stated? Well, I'll, I'll read to you how it's stated. So here's the premise. Uh, We came up with this 10 minutes ago. Uh, The premise is that the Christian God and the Christian worldview provide the necessary framework for the longest standing constitutional document presiding over a free people, and that is namely the United States Constitution. And since we came up with that 10 minutes ago, it's because we worked through about 7,000 permutations of trying to say this in a way that we found to be accurate and and, and, and a way that we can describe this there <laughs> effectively. Was, there was only a way that we could capture the time and effort it took to, <laughs> to get that. <laughs> uh, it's gone through some stages. So this is how we're working off of it uh, tonight. And what we want to do tonight, um, namely, is, is state plainly uh, that when the Declaration of Independence was, was written, when the U.S. Constitution was written, these men had a clear framework in mind, uh, giving us these documents, and that that, that framework would be a, a necessary component to actually having a free society. And so, so what we're going to push back on is the idea that Christianity actually looks to snuff out others' freedoms that are namely not found in the uh, by the Christian God and the Christian worldview found inside the Holy Bible. So the reality of this, in a plain way, and you tell me if I'm under or overstating it here, Jesse, um, is that with without 
the Christian God and the Christian scriptures outlining the Christian worldview, there's no source to have freedom. What I mean by that is you need an objective source utilizing an objective standard in order to have freedom. That would be correct. You must have you must have the solid foundation um, that the Christian worldview provides to even have a framework of talking about freedom and liberty to begin with. So, you know, the, the Christian worldview, you know, I, I would argue, you would argue also, provides the, the most comprehensive, consistent worldview that accounts for all that we see and experience in life um, uh, and, and reality, I mean, quite frankly. Um, so, you know, any coming from any other worldview as a starting ground, um, you're, you're already running into problems with, with consistency um, in what you say you believe and how we know the world to operate. Um, other worldviews either have to borrow from the Christian worldview um, to account for certain things, um, certain metaphysical truths for morality, um, you know, s- stuff like that, um, or they have to leave it out altogether, in which case they're just being extremely inconsistent and um, incomplete in their uh, worldview, which is, you know, what people use to operate um, how they live day to day. So, um, yes, absolutely. Uh, we... And then the founders thought, believe this as well. And, you know, I know we've got quotes lined up and uh, we've got some scriptures lined up here um, that, that the Christian worldview provided the basis and the foundation for um, the experiment that we now know as the United States of America. And, and even more so in that, the reality is that um, there, are, there are other uh, religions that will claim an objective source and, and have an objective morality from their claim. However, they do not allow for a free society. So if you stick other objective, object, and, and by their claim, objectively sourced and objectively moral frameworks inside a constitution to make that framework for a free society, it's not possible because namely inside of their objective source and therefore the objective framework is the overt position that they must be the source and allow for nothing else to exist and therefore would not allow for a free society right they would they would only allow and mandate and govern a particular um a particular kind of people doing a particular kind of things whereas you know as we're about to dive into um, the Christian God tolerates a great many things that are contrary to him, um, you know, as, as we'll find out um, soon enough. So. so here's a couple, here's, here's a fun way to kick this off. A couple of uh, very interesting quotes from um, founders. Uh, so I could, I mean, there's just, there is no shortage. And so one of the toughest things and perhaps most frustrating things uh, for me is the, uh, the, the claim that somehow there was not an overt Christianity inside the founding. Look, there are people a lot smarter than us with a lot more letters after their names uh, that have have done the work. But when you go back to source material, you are struck with the reality that the men that, that founded our country had a specific and very Christian mentality. So I'll, I'll first I'll, I'll start with a, a local a local guy. All right. 
um, Richard Stockton. His name should sound familiar to you if you're in New Jersey here, um, as uh, as someone who's a namesake of a university. Richard Stockton. Richard Stockton. Here's here's a quote from his will, his last will and testament. As my children will have frequent occasion of perusing this instrument and may probably be particularly impressed with the last words of their father, I think it proper here not only to subscribe to the entire belief of the great and leading doctrines of the Christian religion, such as the being of God, the universal defection and depravity of human nature, the divinity of the person and the completeness of the redemption purchased by the blessed Savior, the necessity of the operations of the divine spirit, of divine faith accompanied with a habitual virtuous life and the universality of the divine providence, but also in the bowels of a father's affection to exhort and charge my children that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that the way of life held up in the Christian system is calculated for the most complete happiness that can be enjoyed in this mortal state, and that all occasions of vice and immorality is injurious either immediately or consequentially, even in this life. Wow. Holy crap. There's some words there. There are. Uh, in our first in our first podcast, I did a Double Adams, uh, which sounds like a movie you might do off of the high dive, the Double Adams. The Double Adams. Yes, which can, which can result in immediate uh, and complete paralysis. However, in this case, <laughs> uh, I, I first was going to read a quote by John Adams, who, again, Richard Stockton was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. I, I didn't point that out. John Adams, also a signer of the of the Declaration of Independence, is our second um, our second president. He's one of two signers of the Bill of Rights. He's he's one of the men that that was very instrumental in our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. And here is here is what he says: the general principles of which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. But these men, they clearly had no actual backbone in Christianity. They no. were probably all open deists. Yep, just just deists. This is what I'm getting. John Quincy Adams. This is where this is where the double Adams comes in. So you had John Adams, second president, signer of the Declaration of Independence. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States. But before you go to oh, JQA. Oh, oh, before you oh. go to JQA. May might I stop? Let's just let's just kick this open deism in the butt. John John A, Johnny A, J A, Johnny John, Adams. John Adams. So he also says the Christian religion the Christian religion is above all the religions that ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times, that the Christian religion is the religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humanity. Mm. I mean, if that's not a if that's not a nail driving into the wood, firm, ain't moving, ain't going nowhere statement. I mean, what more do you need from from Johnny A? <coughs> You may continue. All right. JQA, the Johnny Q Adams, John Quincy Adams, was the, the Quinny, sixth pre- Johnny Quince. <laughs> As he likes to be called <laughs> by he- his friends. <laughs> he was the sixth president of the United States, in case you didn't know. Um, he, he, was, uh, the, he was also Secretary of State. He was known as the Hellhound of Abolition, mm. right, John Quincy Adams. Uh, the Hellhound of Abolition. Put that on a bumper sticker. That's a good one. And, and here's what... Um, Here's what he had to say. In the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. 
the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. And in saying this, Jesse, he is tying us directly into First Peter. Where Peter, I thought you were going to say Christmas. <laughs> it does sound that way. But what he's trying to build upon here is this reality, that, that Jesus Christ being the cornerstone of, of the Christian faith, right? Indeed, the cornerstone laid of the church, of the living temple of the, of, of the church, right? Um, the, the founders in writing the Declaration of Independence, they laid the cornerstone of human government upon that, upon that very cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That's the connection he's making here. Now, we could go on. I mean, we could go on four hours simply on this alone. I mean, there's there's names and there's names specific to even even to New Jersey, which, I mean, just given our politicians currently, I would have to say, I don't know if any of them even know God in any way. Well, they don't know the Bill of Rights, so. Well, <laughs> well at least they don't think about it when doing, you know, general. <laughs> general. <laughs> general govern- governing. Governmenty things. We, we don't have to, you know, that's just rough. Um, <laughs> it is rough. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I just wanted to. There was another really great one that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to mention. Like, I'm just searching here. What are you looking for? I was just, I forget, I forget who said it. Uh, Fu We have one from the Attorney General of New Jersey, William Patterson. Man, where's he? Um, Not here no more. That's for sure. No, uh, that is when he says, "When the righteous rule, the people rejoice, and when the wicked rule, the people groan." Oof. That he was quoting Proverbs twenty-nine, verse two, to uh, a grand jury. He also was a signer of the U.S. Constitution. Mm. He was a senator and governor of New Jersey. Something tells me that our modern governor does not know nor appreciate the scriptures as much as. Attorney General William Patterson did. I have already said too much. <laughs> All right, look, we've, we've done, I, I'm literally, I'm literally staring down like quite literally hundreds of quotes here. This is, I mean, it, it's 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 oppressive, the amount of Christianity these evil, evil, open deist bigots spouted off, and I just want to say that, ben- and so. <laughs> Benjamin Rush. Oh, don't do Benjamin Rush. Why not? Just go ahead. Benjamin Rush said, uh, where, where, wait, wait, I just, I just had it. The only means of establishing and perpetuating our Republican forms of government is, is the universal education of our youth in the principles of Christianity by means of the Bible. Hmm. Um. I do not believe that the Constitution was the offspring of inspiration, but I am as satisfied it, that it is as much the work of a divine providence as any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testament. Yeah, we we could. I gotta stop reading this. I'm clicking off of this. I gotta get. I gotta, <laughs> gotta get away. Pressing onward. Um, so, in order to live out the freedom of our founding, um, we you must accept the framework of the Christian God. You must accept the framework of the Christian scriptures as the basis for our founding and the basis for the freedom that we have. Indeed, any freedom at all. So, um, what when we talk about when we talk about freedom within the realm of Christianity, uh, 
what are we talking about here? You know, what what realm is the most primary form of, of freedom? That when a Christian talks about freedom, we talk about what? So when a, when a Christian speaks of freedom, and here here we have here we have some some really big overarching ideas inside of the Christian worldview. Uh, for the Christian, uniquely, um, the objective source is is God. God is our objective source, and God has given us um, His objective morality. And so our morality doesn't stem from our own thoughts, our own desires. And the reality of his morality is every person finds himself equal in our own immorality over and against his morality. That being his holiness. We all miss the standard of his holiness. So Romans 8, 1 through 4 outlines for us primarily the Christian freedom from sin and death. Now we're going to build this idea of Christian Christian morality and Christian liberty to then say why this founds a society uh, that is free. Why this? Why this is? These are the principles. Well, these are the principles of a Christian, right? Of the Christian worldview, and and particularly the freedom inside of a Christian worldview. These are not necessary for you to believe. And here's the joy: in order to have a free society, right? Now. If indeed you had a society where everyone must be Christian, right, must be Christian, as mandated by that particular governing body, you would not have a free society. That is not how it works. Now, namely, of course, I'm speaking for all of you who are are going to get theological, too, too theological, too fast. I'm speaking... Right from the point of a temporal place, we are in a temporal location. This is a temporal. <laughs> this is a temporal situation we find ourselves in. This is not the eternal yet. This is not. We are. We have not. We are not into the everlasting. And so, as we're speaking of the temporal place in which we live, if if a government comes along and mandates any particular religion, there's no longer any more freedom in that particular culture. And so what specifically didn't happen in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution was a mandating of a religion. It's almost as if there were some type of separation between, for instance, something like the state and uh, other forms of organized religion. Well, yes, and and then often no. That's another podcast. That is so completely ripped from from Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists, okay? And it is misquoted and misused like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. The whole idea, you know what? Nope, you used to, nope. you know, no, I, you I, started this. <laughs> you started this. The Danbury Baptists wrote specifically concerning whether or not they would be penalized for their beliefs, right? And, and Thomas Jefferson writes to them, no, no, you will not be penalized for your beliefs because there is no possible way that our Constitution could be used to penal- be penalized somebody for freely practicing their beliefs. That's what he said. So it's almost like Thomas Jefferson was saying it doesn't matter what religion you are. You won't be prohibited in the free exercise of it. Therefore, Thereof that it. is it. That is correct. Hmm. That's what he was saying. Interesting. Yes. How now, that ties right into what we were just talking about. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. So, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, 
Johnny Mac and his peaceful protest this past Sunday had something to inform the uh, governor of California. He was a little confused about what the Constitution says right there. He was certainly confused. Smidge bit confused. He's been, hanging, he's been hanging out with Governor Murphy a little bit too much. <laughs> those men in those bill, those bill of Rights. Look, you know they have a Slack group. They're oh, on man. Slack, going back and, and forth. Jack, like, sending gifts to one another. <laughs> How many churches did you shut down this week, Oh, Gavin? my gosh. All right, nice. <clears throat> So, moving on, um, <laughs> the the principles here outlined um, allow for, specifically, a free society. Now, for inside of Christianity, what freedom means primarily, and I don't know, uh, you're open to it. So, why don't you read Romans 8, 1 through 4. This will address for us the weight of um, freedom inside of Christianity, mainly being applied, primarily, firstly, uh, applied to sin and death. Yeah, I'm going to do, um, I think I'm going to do 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip down to s- uh, 7 and 8, I think. Okay. So, Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So, if we skip down to verse 7 and 8, um, or verse 6 even, now the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. So there we have a contrast. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Um... So there, there we're clearly seeing um, that what we're being that when when a Christian talks about Christian freedom, the first thing that we are free from is the law of sin and death. Now, the default position of the human heart is being enslaved to sin and death, and when you are enslaved, you are not free. Free. Um, and so the default position of the human heart is enslaved, thanks to our our federal head. Adam, back in the Garden of Eden, um, choosing and allowing sin, uh, as opposed to eternal and perfect communion with God, um, has we, we are then and now imbued with a sin nature. The default position of the human heart is slavery to sin, but it is, it is the Spirit of God living in us that frees us from the bondage of sin and death. And so when we're talking about Christian freedom, that is primarily... Um, first and foremost, what we're talking about, and it is the uh, pretext to talking about um, any other um, form uh, of discussion on freedom and liberty uh, to follow. So, yep. And and one of the one of the great joys here that I and I, if I might take a moment uh, to maybe speak against a what has become a much more common uh, mindset. Um, of Jesus being um, a political figure or speaking in political language or ushering in a political uh, kingdom in some way. He does use kingdom language, and this is to be sure. Um, he also uses very political language when he's speaking uh, of Satan in the temptations uh, of Jesus from Satan. He actually refers to to Satan in a political way, as he is the ruler, right? Uh, and this 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 is political language, but what people try to do is set up Jesus as having tried to make some sort of political kingdom grab. It, it's not what he did. 
he specifically states clearly for us that his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus wants an earthly kingdom, he takes that earthly kingdom. That's right. If he had come to conquer Rome, he would have have conquered Rome. And specifically, he was killed because he did not do just that thing. Mm. But what he did come to do was free us from the bondage of sin and death. Now, this is a great thing. We are all going to die. This is temporal. This flesh... That's not a great thing. This flesh bucket is going to die. It It is breaking down, right? There is random onset, spontaneous cellular death occurring in my body. Why? Because sin. Sin sin has literally melted into every aspect of creation since our federal head, as you rightly called him, Adam, sinned first. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, Now, as it has melted in, our freedom needed to be first from sin and death. And so what Jesse was saying really puts this Christian liberty into a new frame because if all we have for our opportunity is to sin. Now, namely, sin is simple. Now, we say sin and people start getting religious in sin and they think of a specific sin. Your main sin is that you desire not God's glory, but yours. You desire not God's kingdom, but yours. You desire to build what you want, when you want it, how you want it, and for whatever purpose you have laid upon it. And that is the main sin of all humanity. You, me, them, they, everybody. Everybody does this sin. And so that being the foundation, we need freedom from that. And so when you are a Christian, when you when you have recognized Jesus Christ as your substitutionary atonement, that on the cross and through the resurrection, he actually gifts you his righteousness and the great substitution, right? That great exchange. If that is your reliance for salvation, then for the first time, you actually now are free to sin. Before, you could do nothing but. But once you have been granted Christ's righteousness, you've been gifted um, salvation through him. For the first time, you are now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, able to glorify God and not sin. Which means for the first time, when you choose sin now, it is actually a choice. Before, sin was just your master. You served yourself. You served pride. You went against God. And that is the main Christian freedom. Now, Galatians 5.1 tells us very clearly that it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Jesus loves freedom. He is a God of freedom. But that is also because he is a God of truth. Truth and freedom go hand in hand. And so the main reason we're talking about this particular premise uh, is because there is an underlying tone in our culture that Christianity wants to snuff out other freedoms. It literally wants to squash them. And that is not the case. Jesus is a God of freedom, but he is a God of freedom because he is a God of truth. Truth and freedom are are linked deeply um, by God. So John 8, 28 relates this to, uh, relates this clearly to us. Um, do you want to turn there or you want me to? I'm, I'm here. For I'm you. here. All right. You, you, you got it. You got it. You got your scripture open. Uh, John 8, 28 says this. Um, yeah. Well, you can do 31. 31. 31 and 32. I mean, th- this whole section really lays it out. Jesus is not, he's not messing around here. Um, John eight thirty one and 32 says, Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus came so that you would know the truth. He came so you'd know the truth, and you'd know the truth so that you could have freedom. Because truth brings freedom. This is very clear. When you believe a lie, you are enslaved to that lie. When you when you know the truth, the truth brings freedom. You are able to live the truth. Mm. And so Jesus calls you to himself by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All three. All three. 
And so here, as a Christian, you experience this type of freedom. Now, this is all very religious. What does this have to do with a free society? I mean, you've already said, Justin, that you don't have to believe this to live in a free society. No, you do not. But if you do not have the Christian God and the Christian worldview, you will not have a free society. Right. Right. So when we look back into the Old Testament, where we see God establishes his people. God is always reaching into humanity to call his people to himself. God is a proactive God. Because if God leaves us on our own, we simply wallow in our own sin. That is just what we do. It's proactive and personal. Amen. And so when he calls a people to himself, he calls that people to live out his standards. And so we, when we read Romans 8.1, it was mentioning the fact that there is, there is a law right, that, that leads us and shows us what sin and death is, what, uh, what offenses to God's holiness we could make, and that when we live in the, the new law of the Spirit, we are free from that law, not that we don't have to, not that we don't desire to follow God's will, we don't desire to glorify Him, but that we don't live under the weight of a law of sin, the sin has been, we have been literally freed from sin and death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. But good so far? Good so far. And so here what we see is that when God calls a people in the Old Testament, he never calls that people to exterminate religion outside of himself. He does call that people to worship him. In fact, he not only calls that people to worship him, but to also, in worshiping him, show the world and call the world to also worship him as the one true God. That is what he does throughout the Old Testament. He then follows through right through that by bringing the Messiah, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the anointed salvation, the Messiah, to save and call his people continually, not just the people that he called specifically in the Old Testament, but expanded to the entire world, thus fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. Now unfolding through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just Jew, but Gentile, right? Greek. It, 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 it literally surpasses racial bounds. It surpasses ethnicities completely. It now enfolds everybody into the wonderful salvation of his son. As he had outlined that he would do in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. He and, has now done. And, and <clears throat> as, as projecting far ahead into the eternal future, he will do. Um, he, he has done and he will continue to do that. So that, so that at the marriage feast... Of the Lamb, we have all nations and tribes and tongues um, dining and feasting and worshiping God uh, together under one banner, and that is that is Christ. Um, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, it's it's a shame that um, it's a shame that it's missed so much because uh, I think when you understand the grand the grand scheme of redemption um, that that we are sinners, that we are enemy of God, that we are we are slaves to our sin. And that God, before the foundations of the world, has set a plan in place to free us from those, uh, from the bondage of sin. And that all men, no matter their, no matter their socioeconomic status, no matter their ethnicity, no matter any of these factors that we tend to, tend to elevate, both we, we tend to overvalue and undervalue them in terms of how we interact with one another. That, <clears throat> excuse me, that none of those things. Um, our primary, that all of those things pale in comparison to our relationship with God and to the, the chasm that sin creates um, between him and us, and that God would go through such great lengths. And the reason I mention that he's a personal God is because he personally enters into human history to provide the plan of salvation for us. 
that that without God being a personal God, there is no love. You, you can't have love without without that personal relationship, without that personal interaction. And so, when He enters into human history, when He gives His law, when He when He sends His Son to fulfill the law and and to enact in in His death on the cross the the sacrifice for our sins and, and his resurrection when his perfect righteousness is imputed it is given to us so that when we stand before the throne god's throne in and, and when he's about to deal out an act of judgment when he looks upon us he doesn't see our righteousness because we have no righteousness that the righteousness that god sees when he looks upon the christian in his throne room in his royal courts is christ's righteousness um, and, and that is just so, so liberating because, <clears throat> excuse me, because that means that we don't then have to stay, we're never stuck then. We're never stuck in our position, um, you know, speaking to people who, who are depressed, who are anxious, who are, who are freaking out in these times that we're, we're not stuck here. That your depression as, as gripping and as total as it may seem is not is not the end for you it, and that, that is not what what you are called to um and so i'm probably i'm probably getting off more into a sermon than into the podcast but uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to try to reel it back but i just really wanted to highlight the beauty of that because it is it is so liberating and it is again the, the framework for all free societies because god doesn't call me as a christian to exterminate other religions i am not to go and exterminate uh, you know uh a, a Muslim or exterminate a, an, an atheist. Uh, instead, he allows people to rebel against him in his infinite patience and grace, um, but still always calls calls them to repentance, calls sinners to repentance and to change uh, and and to come into the fold of God, no matter where you come from. Um, and so that's that's the freedom that we're referencing here, as far as freedom for um, a society and for a government to enact. Um, on its people, right? Absolutely. And so taking this idea of the Christian worldview and the Christian God and putting it into our original idea that the Christian God and Christian worldview provide the necessary framework for the longest standing constitutional document presiding over a free people, the U.S. Constitution, <clears throat> we've outlined the fact that our founding fathers were explicitly Christian. They, they worked it into the Declaration of Independence in so much that they made sure our freedom was tied directly to, right, inalienable god-given rights mm -hmm. that there is an objective source that gives these rights and that government does not give freedom mm. there is no freedom the government gives the government has but one job and that is to ensure the freedom already given by god is maintained mm -hmm. because if, if a government is the one that grants rights and freedoms the government then is the authority that can take those rights and freedoms away and, and that's not a free society. A free society is one that recognizes God as creator and God as supreme over all things. And that in his economy, uh, he has made a free world for people to make um, choices, for people to exist, even in rebellion of him, um, and to tolerate such things for whatever purposes he might will. Um, but, but, that, but that a government is not the one that, that is the arbiter or the, the author of those rights. Um, they are there to to protect and defend. They 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 wield the sword against um, unrighteousness, but they do not um, give or take away those rights. They simply recognize and protect them um, as they are given by God. Um, 
So it's uh, it's it's quite astounding once you realize it, um, just how absolutely. Uh, it's a loaded word. I don't want to use the word privilege, but how absolutely unique um, the American form of government actually is, uh, especially when it was being set up um, and as it's been enacted throughout the past several hundred years. Um, I just pray that it continues, um, that it will, will always and forever continue to be, um, you know, the longest standing constitutional document presiding over free people um, because of its basis in, in the Christianity um, or in the Christian worldview. Well, to do that, what we're going to have to make sure is that people understand that the Christian Get our gun licenses. Right, and that's not, that's, oh, that's, that's not, not different podcast. a thing. So we're going to slip right over that. It was a joke, everyone. That's not what we're talking about. always listening. So anyway, uh, what I was saying was, uh, in order to, do, in order to overcome that, in order to overcome this, we as Christians must make sure and, and that that people understand there's not there is no basis for a Christian trying to thrust upon someone else uh, Christianity. That's not how Christianity works. That's not how God has operated inside of Christianity. I don't thrust my Christianity upon someone else to make them a Christian. Only God calls His people. That's just the reality of it. Are you going to say something? Yeah. Well, it, no, it's, it's a quote. It's, it's, it's the quote by Mark Driscoll that Christianity is not a religion of imposition. It is a religion of proposition. That's correct. Um, it, imposing the Christian religion on someone else is oxymoronical. It, it, that's outside of, of the... Uh, it's outside of the... Word. Can't think there of the word. the word that's not there for you. The word that's not there for me. Uh, <laughs> it's, you it's, it's operating, know the thing. It's operating outside the constraints of what Christianity actually is. It would be operating counter Christianity to impose Christianity on other people. Absolutely. Rather, it is rather it is it is a proposition. It is an inviting in. It is an it is a a, a gift extended, um, and and um, and when it's when it's viewed in in that context, it, it helps. It helps frame it. I don't know why my words aren't coming, but that, clearly, okay. clearly, re-recording this didn't help me in that. In that so, regard. in in framing this particular thought that that there is a there is a mindset right that that Christian values will snuff out the freedoms of others. I want to uh, reference an article uh, by the Associated Press called "Religious Freedom in America: Popular and Polarizing" on August fifth, twenty twenty, by Elena Shore and Hannah Fingerhut. I hope I said that right. Finger <laughs> We're going to leave that alone. You know what? What is the Associated no, the, Press, uh, by the way? Is it just like a group of people? It's an association and... of press. So anyway, we don't have time for this. <laughs> what we do know uh, is that they are, they're, citing a, so they're, they're citing a study um, <clears throat> that was put out uh, by the University of Chicago Divinity School and the Associated Press, NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research. The, the study says a lot. Now, having looked through the study in detail... I, I'm reading the questions and understand it's just it's just so it's very fascinating to watch poll studies and to read through them and the data in them. But one of the really particularly later in the article, one of the particularly disturbing quotes here uh, is that is this is this line about half of atheists and agnostics said evangelical Protestants claims to religious freedom threatens others rights, at least somewhat. And about four in Ted said the same about other Christians. And so there's this thought, right? Um, that that half 
to almost four in ten, right, for 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 religious freedom by evangelical Protestants and other Christians, right, of atheist agnostics say that this this idea of religious freedom actually threatens others' rights, at least somewhat. Now, here's the reality of it. Now, when you think about the the great many things that are that are acceptable inside of our free free society. So many of them are completely contrary, right, to the Christian God and to his obje- objective morality outlined in his word. They are, <clears throat> they are absolutely affronts to his holiness, but they are acceptable in a free society that is based upon the objective God and the Christian religion. Because primarily the Christian religion is not, as you said, an imposition. It is the only religion that allows for the free operation of other religions because it is, its goal is not to snuff out other religions. Rather, it is to illuminate the truth so that it can, you can find freedom. That is the whole entire goal. The truth of God illuminated so that you may truly know freedom from sin and death, that bondage that you can never overcome. And so by doing that, by framing it this way, the founders have given a a, a huge piece of what is necessary for a free society to us. And we should be thankful for this. So the, the Bible outlines story after story, ugly, dark story of sin by people in the scripture who God uses, right, through their sin and flaws to establish his glory which is really the story of man, right? right? The story of God and man's interactions is God using broken people for his glory. How do we narrow down this list? There's almost no way to narrow this list down. Um, the, the, the reality of it is, is when you consider the sin in the Bible of people that were called to lead God's people, not just, not just any old sin, but, but lead God's people, um, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty staggering. Hmm. That's because God inside of his desire right in this broken temporal place allows for the reality of sin god doesn't have to allow sin sin could be gone tomorrow that's why peter tells us in second peter that god is not slow the way some count slowness rather he is surpassingly kind rather he is incredibly patient Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Waiting yet one more day that through the power of the working of spirit in an individual's heart, he would come to repentance and know the truth, and the truth would set him free. Mm. <clears throat> and in doing that, our Constitution set up the Christian basis for God-given rights that the government simply should protect and preserve. That is it. <clears throat> and that leads, that leads us... Um, which is which is much more so the idea of negative rights as opposed to positive rights. These are not rights given, right? Rather, these are rights that that are to be protected and are to be kept from, right? Others. I have the freedom to life, liberty, and a pursuit of enjoyment. I have this liberty, the pursuit of a good life. This is my this is my freedom. And the reality of it is, is that can get, that can be lived out in many different ways only because you live under the construct of a Christian God. Hmm. So you're, you can live out your view of enjoyment in our society 
Because there is a Christian God who has yet allowed one more day of grace and mercy, that he has not judged completely sin and evil. It's it's amazing to think that God would allow, you, you know, when, when you ponder these things, it's amazing to, to try to grapple with the reality that that the world that God created, this this entire this entire piece that we're living in, is so free that He would even allow people to live in stark and staunch and direct opposition of Him and His laws and His statutes and His um, His character. That's how free. Um, that's how free the Christian worldview would, would allow would allow people to govern. Is is it's that it's it's again not not the imposition. It's the proposition. It's it's inviting into um, freedom. And you know, and w- when you peel back the layer and you stare at the soul, you know, obviously when 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 I say that it's amazing that God would allow such freedom, and yet we still understand that those who oppose God are slaves to their sin. Um, it, it is just really just referencing a different a different sphere the sphere of society and the sphere of governments that that would allow people to exist um in direct opposition of god um and his and his plan and his law um that 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 in in essence is is a freedom is is a governmental freedom um it's it's just kind of insane because you know when you think of you know for instance my family i don't i don't want my kids to do things that i don't want them to do and yet, <laughs> and yet, that's what God allows us as humans to do all the time. Um, always calling, never forsaking, never, um, never endorsing our sin, or never, never uh, encouraging us to, to to stray away from Him. But always calling back, and always calling up, and always calling to, um, and always sacrificing for us when we don't even want. His kindness and his generosity. We are squander. We are living in squalor in the pig pen, and we are content apart from God. And yet, God always and will forever continue to call us to Himself. It is just a. It is just an incredible work. Um, but it's 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 just funny because like I would never. I I feel like I would never allow that for my children. You know, I've got four four young kids, and it's just like. I would never just let them do what they want. <laughs> I would never, I would never, they'll destroy themselves. And, and while that is true, God is long suffering and kind for freedoms, for freedom's sake. This is, this is where we find ourselves, um, at the precipice. And, and what I want to say, I love that word to the precipice precipice. It's such a good word. It's, it almost feels like it sounds like what it means. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're teetering on something. <laughs> I want, I want, yeah, a precipice. No. So I want, <laughs> what I want atheists and agnostics to hear from me is that I want you to be free to be an atheist and an agnostic. What I want, what I want people that decide and desire to live out the homosexual lifestyle is you can be free to live that sexual lifestyle. I have no authority to stop you, but I can implore you, all of you, as I was implored by my Savior, that there is a way God has made life to be. There is a way that God has made for our sin to be accounted for. And there is a way he did that through his Son. 
and God loves me despite my sin. God loves me through my sin, and God actually obtains his glory in the fact that I was a sinner and am a sinner and works through my sin. That is how big my God is. And so my desire, the desire of a Christian society, right, of the values of Christians, uh, Christian society, Christian God, objective God, Christian worldview, the Christian scriptures being imbued into our constitution, into our declaration, our founding documents, the spirit and the letter of the law, the reality of, of that worldview being in them is that it, it allows for all the others. It allows for all the others. And that is, that is, that's why we are free still. How'd the whole French Revolution go? They go, well, how's their constitution holding up after that French Revolution? Not as well as ours. Not as, not so much? I wonder if they were founded on different principles. I wonder if there was a whole other subcontract of principles that they would, and, and that's, that's the thing. There is truth that you found something on and that truth that is immutable doesn't change. It stands as a foundation. So it's really just an encouragement. It's really just an encouragement for, for us to understand. It's, it's, uh, it's why Frederick Douglass said that interpreted as it ought to be interpreted, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document. And that is correct. Um, so should we abolish the U.S. Constitution? That'd be a horrible idea. Terrible. Terrible idea. Um, I mean, certainly, if someone wants to abolish the U.S. Constitution, um, they, they can. Uh, and if they do, what you will find yourself is, is you, you'll be running into a society that is not free. Rather, um, a certain number of people, whether in power or, or whether through voting or, or in some form, will enact their, their uh, idea of freedom onto another group of people who will not be free. Freedom will not be there. And that's the joy, that's the joy of federalism, by the way. The simple reality here is that Ilhan Omar can be elected from her district as a representative because inside of her district, she imbues the values of that district. A people can live in a place, have values, similar values, like some with those values, and that person can be sent to the House of Representatives. Now, Ilhan Omar may not hold my values. You know what? I don't elect her. She's not, she's not my elected official. I can be in a place... That elects an official that represents my values, although I don't. You know, I don't live in that place necessarily. We, we, <laughs> but, we do pray that this will happen. So, so, but that's the reality of how our whole government was set up, right? That that there are there there is the freedom to have different values all across the country mm-hmm. and in different parts of the country, specifically because they were founded under the fact that everyone is free because God says so, not man, right? Something, something else that's mind blowing. I don't want to get too far off because I, I do want to wrap up soon. But yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because when we talk about when we go back to that first freedom, the freedom from sin and death, the freedom that Christ gives us as positionally in in our souls and in our in our eternal being. That freedom supersedes and transcends any earthly freedom that we might experience. So that even if our society or even if we lived, because there are Christians that live in societies that don't have a constitution like ours, that don't have a constitution that enshrines rights recognized by God. There are, there are people who live in oppressive and despicable governmental regimes, and yet, as Christians living in that regime, they still experience the fullness of freedom 
that Christ can ever possibly give Goodness anyone else because they are free from the law and from sin and death. So even if the worst comes to worst in our country and we abolish the things that our nation were founded on, Christians are the only people who will ever be able to be truly free, even in an oppressive regime, because within Christianity holds the only hope for ever being free from sin and death, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, in a little real, real fun internet history searching kind of a way, uh, I stumbled across uh, a book that is preserved, uh, thankfully, through um, one of the many classic conservation uh, Library of Congress moves that has happened. It's a book that's called The Teaching of the Holy Scriptures for Young People's Classes in All, Evangel in all Evangelical Churches, an outline study by Dustin Kemble. Who's Dustin Kemble, you would ask? I would tell you he's a Methodist the missionary. The singer of Christ? No, not that. No, no. Dustin, Ke uh, no. Dustin Kensrud. Oh, okay. Yes, different. Dustin Kemble uh, was a Methodist missionary and Methodist pastor um, whose son actually began the graduate graduate program at Harvard for um, theoretical physics. Oh. Huh, interesting. He, they saw no um, stark divide between science and religion. Funny how that has changed. But turn of the century, he wrote this very, very interesting um, study guide to teach young people um, the Bible. And it is, it is pretty extensive. But on page 146, at the closing um, of his chapter on Christian liberty, mm. uh, mind you, uh, the last paragraph reads this way, followed by two quotes that are very interesting. Um, I, I, since we've been on history, I thought, why not stay on it for just a smidge longer? You'll find us on page 146, again, at the close of his close of this, which will we'll include the link to this book, which is, by the way, is completely free. Uh, you can access it through Google Play Books, and I'm sure you can download it and put it on any ebook reader as well. Uh, on page 146, he closes the chapter this way. He says, No prescribed rules are necessary to make an honest man honorable in his business dealings or even to make a patriotic man stand for the interests of his country, since he cannot do anything else without changing his character. So the true Christian cannot bear that which is dishonorable to his Lord. As in our social and civil life, the boon of freedom depends on the right and honorable intentions of each neighbor and citizen. So it is in the kingdom of God. And whenever one deliberately and willfully does wrong, he puts himself back again, in the power of Satan. He closes with two quotes. Uh, one, true liberty consists only in the power of doing what we ought to will and not in being constrained to do what we ought not to will by Jonathan Edwards. And George Hilliard, um, a friend of Noah Webster, I know you, you're a Noah Webster fan. Uh, no, he dog <laughs> Wrote this, and this is a, this is a, this is a small jam-packed statement. If liberty with law is fire on the hearth, then liberty without law is fire on the floor. Hmm. And this is, this is true. We are bound when we are free. And, and no freedom comes without limitations. In fact, it must be limited. Because if freedom is unlimited, then my freedom doesn't just impact your freedom, but it can overcome your freedom. But that is not how freedom operates, because if I, my freedom can overcome your freedom, then you're not free. Freedom must always be bound, and God literally shows us exactly how freedom is bound, because he has given us the truth.
that is why. That is why our society has functioned this long, and that is why we must go back and understand this truth in order to establish freedom for all those that agree and those that disagree with me. Because we're fast coming to a time where those that disagree with the loudest voices will find themselves very much not free. Mm. 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 Just let that one marinate. Marinate on that one. So that's that's the end of our podcast here tonight. <laughs> and we hope this one is a little more effective than what happened on that live stream. Goodness gracious. Yep. Uh, better than take one, but uh, we're still tired. So, so check, the, check, the, <laughs> check the show notes. You'll have lots of links to a myriad of fun things for you to check out if you so desire. Um, but remember, Christian, if you are free, you are free from sin and death. Um, and as Paul would say in Galatians 5, it is for freedom Christ has set you free. Why then do you submit to another's, another's yoke of slavery? Why then do you, you submit to slavery yet again of sin and selfish pride? Exactly. And to you that is not a Christian, I would just say this. I am all about you being free to not be a Christian. Um, but I would much rather you understand the truth of Jesus Christ and find yourself free from sin and death. For if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. Seize the faith. We'll see you on the next one.